You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. And that's quite enough of that. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado. This is episode 280 of the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show podcast. And today's topic is not who the real Slim Shady is. It's not. This is not an episode about Eminem. It is not an episode about what, 90s rock and rap, or was that 2000s? Was that 2000s? Man, feels like so long ago. The 90s were 10 years ago, by the way. That's when, you know, you're kind of getting old, is when you think that the 90s were 10 years ago. The first thing to go is your age and your memory with it. But in any event, the topic for today's episode is actually the real St. Nicholas. Who was Santa Claus? Who is Santa Claus? Is Santa Claus real? And if so, will the real St. Nicholas please stand up? See what I did there? The Santa Claus shtick is so familiar to all of us, you can't go anywhere on Christmas. You can't go shopping. You can't go to the mall. You can't drive around even. You can't watch TV without seeing Santa Claus references, Santa Claus wrapping paper, Santa Claus ties and socks and everything, right? Santa Claus is everywhere. But who is Santa Claus? And how is it that we're supposed to treat that topic of whether Santa Claus is real. Now, I'm not a stickler on this too, too much. We have our own convictions. We don't tell our kids that Santa Claus is coming and put out cookies and things like that. I don't think that's necessary. I didn't grow up with it. I don't believe my wife grew up with it either. But we, from the get-go, have told our kids, Santa Claus is not coming to our house. That is not the way that it works. Your mom and your dad, we buy the gifts. We want full credit. Thank you very much. Now, if you guys want to make some cookies and leave out a glass of milk and a plate of cookies for me, I'm just going to tell you straight, I'm going to eat those cookies and I'm going to drink that milk. But a jolly, overweight man is not going to fly in from the North Pole, in a sleigh pulled along by reindeer through the sky and eat those cookies. Just not happening. And yet at the same time, there is actually a historic figure on whom the modern conception of Santa Claus is based. 
there is some historical basis for the idea of this jolly man going and delivering presents to good boys and girls on Christmas. There is a basis in reality, but the story is very, very different than what you have come to know and love. You know, I watched The Santa Claus starring Tim Allen with my family a couple of weeks back, and they've got their spin on the story where the way that it works and how you explain uh, how it is that you have Santa Claus for so long a time is that when Santa Claus passes away, whoever it is that was responsible for his demise gets to be the new Santa Claus. And so presumably, you know, if you want to be Santa Claus, all you got to do is just wait up for Santa and knock him off. And, um, you know, you get to be the new Santa Claus. It's kind of like King of the Hill in uh, Halo. You know, if you just take out the king, you get to be the new king. But, of course, that's not the way they, they go with it. He accidentally startles the old Santa Claus, Tim Allen does, on the roof. Santa falls off the roof and dies. And Tim Allen's character puts on the suit. And he becomes the new Santa Claus. Whether he likes it or not, he's, he is going to be the new Santa Claus. That's not quite... <laughs> the real story. I'm going to tell you the real story. I'm going to be a little bit of Paul Harvey here. Now you know the rest of the story. So, ho, 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 Merry Christmas, all that. Where did it come from? Pulling up the Wikipedia entry for St. Nicholas reveals some very interesting things which I think you will enjoy knowing. St. Nicholas of Myra, traditionally 15th March 270 to 6th December 343, also known as Nicholas of Bari, was an early Christian bishop of Greek descent from the maritime city of Myra in Asia Minor, modern-day Demra, Turkey, during the time of the Roman Empire. Because of the many miracles attributed to his intercession, he is also known as Nicholas the Wonder Worker. Saint Nicholas is the patron saint of sailors, merchants, archers, repentant thieves. That's important to note. You have to be a repentant thief. Children, brewers, pawnbrokers, unmarried people, and students in various cities and countries around Europe. His reputation evolved among the pious as was common for early Christian saints, and his legendary habit of secret gift-giving gave rise to the traditional model of Santa Claus, or Saint Nick, through Sinterklaas. Very little is known about the historical Saint Nicholas. The earliest accounts of his life were written centuries after his death and contain many legendary elaborations. <clears throat> or so they think, anyway. God only knows, right? Some of these things I'm going to share with you only God truly knows whether these things actually all happened, but we're going to share the legend and rest assured they are no less true than the traditional Santa Claus myth that you've heard. If anything, 
they have a possibility of being true, whereas the North Pole reindeer elves thing is pretty much zero. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry to burst the bubbles. But uh, anyway, moving on. The earliest accounts of his life were written centuries after his death and contained many legendary elaborations. He is said to have been born in the Greek seaport of Patara, Lycia, in Asia Minor, to wealthy Christian parents. In one of the earliest attested and most famous incidents from his life, he is said to have rescued three girls from being forced into prostitution by dropping, dropping rather, a sack of gold coins through the window of their house each night for three nights so their father could pay a dowry for each of them. Now, I'll stop, I'll stop right here. There's more. I'll mark my place. But that being the most famous story of him is, I think, just wonderful. I think that's a far better story than most of the Christmas myth that has built up around Santa Claus and ho, 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 and all of that. Uh, although, <laughs> in jest, I might speculate maybe that's where the ho, ho, ho <laughs> uh, tradition comes from. Um, no, no, definitely not. Uh, the fact is that this is a common problem in poor parts of the world, in all seriousness. And it is a very sad thing. It is a very heartbreaking thing that you have in poor parts of the world, sometimes families who are struggling to make ends meet to the point that a daughter or daughters will be sold into prostitution to try and put food on the table for the rest of the family. And so you have in this legend, myth, story, whatever, if it ends up being true, I think it's wonderful. You have a poor family, which is in that kind of a predicament. And this happens today. And I think people who work in these areas and these parts of the world and try to help lift these families out of poverty so they don't have to, or they don't feel like they have to, or they don't think about even, they're not tempted to sell their daughters into prostitution. I think the folks that work on those front lines to try and do the kind of work that St. Nicholas is said to have done are heroic, nothing short of heroic. But you've got here St. Nicholas delivering money to this household secretly three nights in a row, didn't want to deliver too much all at once, because for one, it's heavy, and for two, it might be a little too conspicuous. But deliver a little bit tonight, a little bit the next night, a little bit the next night. And just imagine, for one, the relief of the father and the mother in this situation. And then for two, imagine the relief of the three daughters. Not just one, not two, but three daughters, three sisters who were on the verge of being sold into prostitution to make ends meet and then all of a sudden a local bishop saint nicholas drops off money on your doorstep so that you can be married off properly because you there's a dowry that's needed in many of the traditional 
ways of arranging marriages. There's a dowry that's needed to basically set the young couple up, get them off on a good start. And there you have it. You know, these three young gals, their lives are forever changed. That's way better than getting an iPad or an Xbox for Christmas. Uh, having a saint come through and help out in a very, very tangible way to keep you from going into a life of darkness, right? Moving on. Other early stories tell of him calming a storm at sea, saving three innocent soldiers from wrongful execution, and chopping down a tree possessed by a demon, which all sound like just super badass Santa Claus stories that you've never heard that are way better, way better. Calming a storm, that's cool. I mean, Jesus did that, obviously. And by the same power that Jesus did it, St. Nicholas could have done that. Who knows, right? I wouldn't chalk that up to legendary and say that it's not true just because it's legendary. Things can be legendary and also true. Saving three innocent soldiers from wrongful execution. Well, that's cool. It is interesting how often the number three comes up. That is curious. And we'll come back to that. I think there's a potential reason, a potential explanation for why three comes up repeatedly in these stories about St. Nicholas, the, the real St. Nicholas. Chopping down a tree possessed by a demon. That's a new one. That's, uh, man, I, I feel like somebody needs, if they haven't yet, somebody needs to make uh, one of those, not comic books, but uh, what are they called anyways? The um, They're like comic books, but they are more literary. Graphic novels, that's it. Graphic novels. Somebody may, needs to make a graphic novel in the vein of um, 300, right? Uh, give St. Nicholas, the, the real St. Nicholas, the same treatment that the 300 Spartans got. I'm telling you, that would be amazing. That would be super cool. Chopping down a tree possessed by a demon. There's a story there that needs to be told. In his youth, he is said to have made a pilgrimage to Egypt and Palestine. Shortly after his return, he became Bishop of Myra. He was later cast into prison during the persecution of Diocletian. Diocletian was a bad, bad man, by the way. Bad man. But was released after the accession of Constantine. So, in other words, St. Nicholas ends up being a peer uh, contemporary. That's the word. I'm, I'm struggling to find words this morning, apparently. Uh, but St. Nicholas is a contemporary of Eusebius, it would, it would seem, uh, based on the timeline here. Eusebius, if you read uh, the church history, you could find out more on him. But shortly after his return, he became Bishop of Myra. He was later cast into prison during persecution of Diocletian, released after the accession of Constantine. 
An early list makes him an attendee at the First Council of Nicaea in 325, but he is never mentioned in any writings by people who were actually at the council. Late, unsubstantiated legends claim that he was temporarily defrocked and imprisoned during the council for slapping the heretic Arius. Another famous late legend tells how he resurrected three children who had been murdered and pickled in brine by a butcher planning to sell them as pork during a famine. Fewer than 200 years after Nicholas's death, the St. Nicholas Church was built in Myra under the orders of Theodosius II over the site of the church where he had served as bishop and his remains were moved to a sarcophagus in that church. In 1087, while the Greek Christian inhabitants of the region were subjugated by the newly arrived Muslim Seljuk Turks, and soon after their church was declared to be in schism by the Catholic Church, a group of merchants from the Italian city of Bari removed the major bones of Nicholas's skeleton from his sarcophagus in the church without authorization and brought them to their hometown, where they are now enshrined in the Basilica di San Nicola. The remaining bone fragments from the sarcophagus were later removed by Venetian sailors and taken to Venice during the First Crusade. And there's actually a great deal more to this Wikipedia article, uh, a surprising amount on him. I will say the cover photo is super cool for St. Nicholas. Full-length icon of St. Nicholas by Jaroslav Sormak, showing him with a halo dressed in clerical garb, holding a book of the scriptures in his left hand while making the hand gesture for the sign of the cross with his right if you go to the Wikipedia article for nothing less, nothing else, at least go for this picture of St. Nicholas. Because you look at him and he, he looks like the old man that Kevin is terrified of in Home Alone. The guy out on the street who is shoveling snow and all of the kids claim that you know, he likes to murder people and preserve them in salt and then spread their remains on the streets or something, you know, crazy, right? Just crazy made up story about this old man. St. Nicholas in this icon looks like that guy, uh, but in vestments with a halo holding the Bible, making a sign of the cross. Uh, he looks like the kind of guy that might actually punch a heretic at the Council of Nicaea. But I want to talk a bit more about that in particular because it's so interesting. Of all of the very, very interesting legends about St. Nicholas, I see nothing in any of that about him having a toy shop <clears throat> at the North Pole where he employs a great deal of uh, elf labor. I see nothing in there about a sleigh and reindeer uh, none, none of that is in the story of St. Nicholas that is hopefully historical. I think the bit about resurrecting three children who were butchered and pickled, I think that is probably not accurate. I hope it's not accurate. I think that's weird on so many levels. Uh, but, however, that said, uh, I do kind of hope, kind of wish that the bit about the Council of Nicaea uh, is correct. Reading a bit more about that 
In 325, Nicholas is said to have attended the First Council of Nicaea, where he is said to have been a staunch opponent of Arianism and devoted supporter of Trinitarianism, which, again, as I mentioned earlier, I think that's part of why the number three comes up so often in legends about him is because folks who were trying to mythologize St. Nicholas really wanted to emphasize the number three and associate him with the number three. See, he was destined, right? He was destined to be a major supporter of Trinitarianism. Look at him saving three young women from prostitution. Look at him saving three sailors from execution. Look at him resurrecting three uh, boys who have been murdered and pickled in brine. But continuing on. One of the bishops who signed the Nicene Creed, he is said to have signed the Nicene Creed. Nicholas's attendance at the Council of Nicaea is attested early by Theodore the Lector's list of attendees, which records him as the 151st attendee. However, he is conspicuously never mentioned by Athanasius of Alexandria, the foremost defender of Trinitarianism at the Council who knew all the notable bishops of the period, nor is he mentioned by the historian Eusebius, who was also present at the council. And that is interesting, and that is noteworthy. Because Eusebius goes into a lot of detail about a lot of things. You, one would think he would have mentioned St. Nicholas a bit more. But on the other hand, he also might not have thought it was worth commenting on, given, given the context, given the circumstances. Only the good Lord knows for sure, of course. Adam C. English notes that lists of the attendees at Nicaea vary considerably with shorter lists only including roughly 200 names, longer lists including around 300. St. Nicholas's name only appears on the longer lists, not the shorter ones. Nicholas's name appears on a total of three early lists, one of which, Theodore the Lectors, is generally considered to be the most accurate. According to Jonah Lendering, there are two main possibilities. One, Nicholas did not attend the Council of Nicaea, but someone at an early date was baffled that his name was not listed and so added him to the list. Many scholars tend to favor this explanation. Of course, of course they do, which I find annoying. Nicholas did attend the Council of Nicaea. That's the second possibility. But at an early date, someone decided to remove his name from the list, apparently deciding that it was better if no one remembered he had been there. And that is a far more interesting explanation. I think that's a far more plausible explanation, or at least equally plausible. Or at very least, I like it better. A later legend, first attested in the 14th century, over 1,000 years after Nicholas's death, holds that during the Council of Nicaea, Nicholas lost his temper and slapped a certain Arian across the face. On account of this, Constantine revoked Nicholas's mitre and pallium. Stephen D. Gradanus concludes that because of the story's late attestation, it has no historical value. Which, sure, that's a possibility. It's possible that this has no historical value. But then again, we're talking about it, aren't we? So it has some historical value. I, it may have far less historical value than if it had been reported concurrent with the Council of Nicaea actually meeting. But Jonah Lendering defends the historicity of the incident, arguing that 
because it was embarrassing and reflects poorly on Nicholas's reputation, it is inexplicable why later hagiographers would have made it up. Later versions of the legend embellish it, making the heretic Arius himself and having Nicholas punch him rather than merely slapping him with his open hand. In these versions of the story, Nicholas is also imprisoned, but Christ and the Virgin Mary appear to him in his cell. He tells them he's imprisoned for loving you, and they free him from his chains and restore his vestments. The scene of Nicholas slapping Arius is celebrated in Eastern Orthodox icons, and episodes of St. Nicholas at Nicaea are shown in a series of paintings from the 1660s in the Basilica di San Nicola in Bari. Now again, to be very clear, this may not be accurate. That may not have happened. That might not be true that he slapped Arius or some Arian heretic with Arius at the Council of Nicaea. But it is at least no less true than the popular conceptions of Santa Claus that abound in our day. And actually, I think this might be a far more useful legend of St. Nicholas than the legends that abound, the stories that abound of St. Nicholas being up at the North Pole all year, getting ready to bring toys to little boys and little girls. I personally prefer this more rough-and-tumble, grittier, uh, what, Clint Eastwood-type Santa Claus. I, I personally prefer the Santa Claus who chops down a demon tree, saves three girls from prostitution, and slaps a heretic at the Council of Nicaea and gets kicked out. And we're, hey, you know what? Just don't even record that. And actually, too, can we just remove all record of him having been here? Because that's embarrassing. It's embarrassing what he just did, how he just interacted. You know, that's a far more interesting and far more engaging St. Nicholas, in my view. But it, why didn't that St. Nicholas get to be the one that we build up all these legends around? I mean, that St. That Nicholas is not the one you're familiar with. In fact, the one I just described for you from legends over the past 2,000 years, the one I just described for you is very, very different Instead of being a holly jolly fat man in a red suit with white fur trimming it, carrying around a never-ending bottomless bag of toys, riding through the sky in a sleigh pulled by reindeer, very similar to Apollo, by the way. That Santa Claus, I think, again, doesn't hold a candle. But it's a far more commercial, it's a far more pleasant version of St. Nicholas for a secularized society, for a commercialized, materialistic society. Why would we emphasize a St. Nicholas who potentially, possibly, maybe slapped or punched heretics at the Council of Nicaea? Why would we celebrate that and draw attention to that? Listen, little boys and little girls, you'd better be good this year or St. Nicholas is going to come down the chimney and slap you for your heterodox positions. You woke Christians, you're not going to get a lump of coal 
You're going to get a punch in the face from Santa Claus this year. Better straighten up. Stop acting the fool. Only the good Lord knows which was correct, which happened. But there you have it. And now you know the rest of the story. Enough on Santa Claus for right now. Probably for some time. I should probably get going. This will be a shorter episode than typical. But my wife, Lauren, who is 34 weeks and some change pregnant right now, has started having some pretty intense contractions and labor pains, actually. And she really needs to take it easy this weekend and not overdo it. I think she's been trying to do too much. She's been feeling that nesting uh, business that women often get towards the end of pregnancy. She wants to clean and she wants to buy things that she needs to get last minute. And she you know, wants to just do everything because she feels like, hey, you know, this is about to happen. And that in part can feed into uh, labor going. And so we want to slow that down. We'd like to get to 37 weeks, which will be the first week of January. We're still a couple weeks out from that. But if I can help run interference with the kiddos and get them on chores and we'll take care of getting meal prep done and you just do some sewing, hang tight, chill out, read some books, read some books. Uh, If you can do that, (laughs) then hopefully we will delay the arrival of Andrew for a little while yet. But as I say, I should go so I can assist in making sure that happens. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.